Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. It is really great to be with you this morning uh, on this Labor Day weekend. Nice, easy weekend to re-enter, if you will. Uh, but I want to get... Right started, because we have, uh, we have a lot to cover. About once a month, a copy of Men's Health Magazine comes to our home. It's a free subscription, because one of my sons bought something masculine. And it sent, uh, and it's, they gave us this free monthly thing. It's been coming for about a year. And every now and then, there'll be something interesting to read. Uh, this last month, there, the cover... Uh, really grabbed my attention. I put, uh, it, it's a little fuzzy, but this is what came, and I, I grabbed a hold of this. It says this, not crystal clear. Can God shrink your gut? So I had to read that. You know that. I had to read that. Uh, so it was a discussion about a new biblical diet. Okay, there's, a, there's a couple of them out there. And it comes from Genesis 1:29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. It is called the Hallelujah Diet. It's the worst title ever for that diet. But as the title of the article suggests, it's focused on primarily on the physical, health and weight loss and that kind of thing. But it got me thinking, is there a connection between God and your gut? And if so, what is it? And by that, of course, I mean a spiritual connection. We are inviting you this week to join us in a prayer and fasting week to start off the ministry year. So I think the topic's worth considering, uh, and I think it can actually set the tone for your spiritual life for what I want to say. Uh, now, granted, this is not the topic you hope. You've been gone two months, buddy. You come in, and you know, you're going to talk about, I mean, this is a Labor Day weekend. We're going to be grilling. Uh, I got six kinds of meats prepared. I understand. I totally understand, and I knew the hurdle that I'd be getting over, having to get over. Well, let me ask you this. Let me just say this to you. How should we approach the topic of fasting? Just hang with me. Now, it's very possible you've never done it for spiritual reasons. It's very possible you've done it and got nothing out of it. Uh, it's very possible that you were more hangry than godly that's very possible. So, let's see if we can make the kind of connection that would make you want to consider fasting. All right, so, let's start with our own cultural use of the, of the metaphor hunger and thirst. It's used for longings, desires, ambitions. The great scholar Bruce Springsteen, everybody's got a hungry heart. Your 
it, it's your deepest longings. We use gut for lots of things. Do you have the guts? Uh, what does your gut say? It's more than stomach. It can mean your heart and your soul at the same time. Now, biblically speaking, this connection and this metaphor is literally everywhere, okay? And a direct relationship, uh, I think, biblically between God and your gut is, is there. Genesis, I'm going to walk you through just, just some high-level thinking about it. Genesis 3, the first transgression is an eating transgression. And that sets the tone for the theme of food throughout the entire Bible. The stomach and the soul have a similar dynamic. Desire, take, taste, take in. And they affect each other. The one affects the other. Later in Genesis, Esau will sell his birthright for one meal. The New Testament will pick that up in Hebrews to talk about what it means to abandon the faith. It's powerful. There is a connection between the satisfied stomach and the satisfied soul. They are needy in a similar way. This is really important. If you don't hear this line and really connect with it, then the rest of this won't matter. Your stomach and your soul are needy in a similar way. That's why we get the connection. So uh, there is a connection between the satisfied stomach and the satisfied soul. The Psalms use the metaphor hungering and thirsting after God all over. This continues in the New Testament. We've already run into this on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Paul distinguishes between believers and unbelievers in Philippians 3.19 and Romans 16.18. Verses that read like this. I put them both on the same. Uh, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Uh, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. This word, same word for belly. Commentators, I think, are correct when they note that this is not just metaphorical for fleshly desires, but also the way they, but, but gluttony, because they're connected. The physical appetite and my appetite for God are somehow related. Let's make an important shift because we'll look at this pretty soon in the Sermon on the Mount, God willing. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, three disciplines of the spiritual life. When you, when you, when you, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Now, I guarantee we've read this many times. We know what's going on here when we think about these three disciplines. By the way, these three disciplines you can find almost in any religion. But Jesus says there's a unique approach when we do them. So let's think about something for a second. Why would he ask us to do these three things? 
assume you're going to do them. Well, when we give, usually most of us in here realize we have some sort of a relationship with money that needs to be addressed in our lives. Is that true or not? I would say on a daily basis, when we pray, you say, well, what, is it, what, what, what is it about my life that I have to think about when I'm praying? Usually we would say, I don't prioritize prayer. So probably priorities. There's some other issues when it comes to the reasons we don't pray. But priority is one of them. Anybody in here deny that priorities are an issue in my spiritual life at all times? So there's a discipline to help me with it. There's a discipline to help you with money. But when we bring up fasting, what would fasting then represent? There's something about the three of those things that if you're going to be spiritually healthy, you're going to have to manage. Is that true? Does that seem correct to you? Uh, all of us would agree for sure on the first two. Um, that they provide daily challenges to our spiritual life. But we're not quite sure what to make of food, which is the reason why most of us have never fasted or wouldn't fast. So it makes me wonder, what does food have to do with it then? Is it possible that food is a real spiritual battleground? And as basic to life as any of those other two, maybe more so. Uh, all three of these can clutter up, cover up, and mask deeper issues. So I want to try to get practical with you today, and I'll be honest, I have overdone it. I know I have. I have overdone it because I had a lot of time. I had a lot of time. So bear with me on this. Uh, plus, we knew this was going to be a topic. Months ago, we knew we were going to start the semester off with, the, with uh, this topic, and so... Uh, there is a connection between God and your gut. But what does fasting then, and how could, how could fasting help me? So let me say this. Let me start by saying this. The stomach is easier to assess than your soul. With very little effort, you could determine right now, in fact, you know whether you're eating too much. You know right now that you're not eating the right foods if you're not. You know right now how it's making you feel that you're not, if you're not. If you're not eating right, you, you can feel it. 
with very little effort, you could probably say, I probably need to cut out X, Y, Z, need to get rid of that, shouldn't eat after this time, blah, 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 blah. You could pretty much lay it out pretty easily. We know there is a direct connection between what I am and what I eat. We say it. You are what you eat. The soul is similar. Am I healthy at my soul level? Much harder to assess. What is my soul craving? Do I even know? What am I actually feeding my soul? Much tougher questions. How is it affecting my soul, what I'm doing? Very hard. Norman Wurzba, in a book called Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating, a profound read, says eating is a sensual point of entry for self-discovery and self-examination. Is it possible that that's what fasting is designed to do? To choose not to satisfy the stomach creates an opportunity to reflect on the soul. It's like, you know how they say sometimes you, you get to the heart of a man through his what? His stomach. There is some spiritual truth to that in your life. You can get to your soul through your stomach. So I had a conversation, try to tell you what I mean, this summer, uh, about halfway through it with a friend. I was describing a situation in my life, whining a little bit, bringing him up to speed on my life. He could sense angst. And when I was done, there was silence, and he just asked me one question. What do you really want? After he listened to this story, he just said, What do you really want? And I stopped. And I, I honestly couldn't answer. And more than that, I was afraid to answer because I wasn't sure that what I wanted was really what I wanted, and I wasn't sure it's what I should want. There were a number of choices that I could have picked from that all sounded good in my head. But saying them out loud revealed a kind of emptiness to each of them. That's not a big enough want. That's not a healthy enough want. And I couldn't believe how much work it took to get through the sort of the peripheral wants to the one I really wanted. And then, a little bit afraid that maybe I didn't want what I should want. That conversation and that whole dynamic in my head put me in a spiritual moment. It's probably the 
peak of my summer. So in a book called You Are What You Love by Smith, he, he begins his book like this, and I, I think I put the title, I don't know if I did or not. Let's see if I did. No, I didn't. I thought I did that, but here's what he writes. What do you want, he says at the very beginning of his book. What do you want? That's the question. And then he says this. Think about it. It is the first, last, and most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. I remember reading that roughly a year ago and going, is it? Could that be one of the most important questions spiritually that I ask is, what do I really want? So he says, discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Think about that. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. How would you assess your craving for that? Amongst every other desire you have, how strong would you say it is? That is an in- That's a terribly hard question to answer, and it is a terribly frightening question to answer. And he argues in his book, it's not easy to discern. when you're competing for lots of wants. I'm about to start uh, teaching a uh, Bible study on Thursday mornings for the coaches at Central High School. And I love coaches. I love to be around coaches. And uh, <clears throat> they're doing it, <clears throat> excuse me, because they want, they, they want to make sure that they're, they're being the kind of coaches that ultimately, that ultimately would mean their life was investing in people, that it wasn't just about wins and losses. Uh, so think about, think about if, you, if you compare your life to a coach, you would generally speaking say, boy, I hope my life at the end matters. I hope I've really wanted the right things, pursued the right things, done the right things. But in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, you get caught up in a lot of little things that don't matter. Do you see what Trent Dilfer did, the former NFL coach? He was a former NFL player who's now coaching a high school team. And this past week, got called out because he grabbed one of his players, grabbed a hold of one of his players. He's since apologized, of course. But if you ask Trent Dilfer, what kind of coach do you want to be at the end of your life, what would really, really matter to you for people to say? It wouldn't be how many wins or losses. It would be that I influence kids. But in the hustle of every day when you need the game to go well and you need practice to go well and you need plays to work, it's really easy to get lost. And, And every coach needs games to work and he needs plays to play and he needs... He needs all those things to happen. But if he's not careful, he'll forget that his desire is to really invest in kids, and those other little goals will become more important than the other ones. Agreed? 
That's what happens in our life. If I asked you on a general day like today, do you really want God first in everything? You'd say yes. But as soon as the heat of battle comes in the life out there, you're going to go, man, I don't think I really wanted that as bad as I thought I did. I think there was a whole lot of other things I really wanted more than that. How in touch are you? Especially when some of the desires and goals that you have don't sound bad. They sound normal. They sound like what anybody would want. So in light of this, I'm in a New Testament reading program. It's taken me about, I've been in it 18 months, okay? And this summer I got to Luke. I have three books left. I'm in Luke, Acts, and Hebrews are left. I'm a third of the way through Luke. And while I was in Colorado this last week, I came across Luke. The, the, the first third of Luke is perfect for this talk. I wish I could have explained all that. But you get to Luke 4 and you get to the temptation. And this is what I was reading. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, literally famished. Uh, doesn't matter how many times I read that. I always wonder the same three questions. Did he really have to go without food that long? That was the first thing. Would he have been successful had he been eating all along? How did it help him that he wasn't eating? only really one way to know. So at the end of this, he will quote Deuteronomy 8. Man shall live, man shall not live by bread alone. So you got to go to Deuteronomy 8 to go, what was going on there that makes Jesus connect to that moment? And here's what you find. This is what God said to Israel during their 40 days in the, or their 40 years in the wilderness. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in here. How do you test the heart? It's like asking what does your soul crave? See, whether you would actually do what I wanted you to do more than anything else. And he humbled you and he let you what? Say it. He let you hunger. What's the connection between the stomach and the soul, the stomach and the heart? 
He gave you just what you needed manna-wise. I'll provide you with physical food, but you won't have enough to store so you could get it anytime you want. You'll have to trust me for every little bite that comes your way. And somehow, when you get hungry, I'll be able to detect, I'll be able to see something about your heart and your management of this food. And I'll make you know that man does not live by bread alone. How can you really know that if you're not ever hungry? I mean, if you're always full. The full stomach covers a lot of other things. God knows it. He knows it's true. We all know it's true. We use food for that very purpose, to make things go away, to not have to think about things, to feel better about everything. We use food for it. So let me ask you, is your physical hunger, in your physical hunger, you recognize that there are deeper cravings? How connected you are to cravings And potentially how only God can ultimately fulfill and satisfy you. And that's what God wanted Israel to learn. Satan knew to go there. Bread. Who stresses over? Well, in our culture, we stress over bread quite a bit. But a loaf of bread, really? Is that really the temptation Satan is starting with? Why? Because the longing for food would distract him from deeper longings. If I could satisfy him physically with something here, materially, then I could get his mind off of some deeper need or thing that mattered, if I could do that. On a full stomach, you are not always in touch with your deepest longings. On a full stomach. Now, that's a really important thing. Keep it in mind for just a second. On a full stomach, it is not difficult at all to believe that man does not live by bread alone. But when you're hungry, I can test that out on you. When you really want something bad, I can really test. And it may not be a loaf of bread, but bread's the easiest similar connection to the soul. Just like bread going in here, direct connection to here, other cravings, direct connection to the soul. We don't always make that connection. Fasting helps you make it. When you fast, you allow your heart to be probed in a way that nothing else can do it. Nothing else can do it like physical hunger. 
So in the pain of hunger, we're reminded that nothing ultimately satisfies and nothing ultimately fulfills. And we hear ourselves say that out loud, and pretty soon it's amazing what surfaces that you want that sounds like just gentle as a loaf of bread. But you want it more than you want what God wants. How many harmless loaves of bread have we digested? It's easy to use food and a host of other things to constantly keep a feeling of fullness so that we never really are in touch with our cravings. We easily forget what we ought to be the most hungry for because we're so quick to get little things we want. In this way, the stomach mirrors the soul. So Piper says in his book, A Hunger for God, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven. It's endless nibbling at the table of the world. Too many delights deaden the soul. So I did a lot of a broad range of reading this summer. One of my favorite reads introduced me to a character I'd never met before, but it's a topic I really love. Uh, nutrition fitness, and I came across a guy by the name of Trevor Cashy. Uh, best stuff I've ever read. Just phenomenal on the topic. Turns out he's highly sought after by scientists and nutritionists. Very unique approach to dieting, to food. He's a genius, first of all. At 13, he already had clients as a nutritionist. By 23, he had a PhD in cellular energy transduction. A, nu a, a, nutrient, a nutrition savant, they call him, used by elite athletes, bodybuilders, strongmen, ultra runners, uh, Navy SEALs, and Olympic teams. He's under the radar, not interested in being one of the fad diet guys. He distinguishes, to make a long thing simple, real hunger and reward hunger. Let's see if that's up here. Real hunger, your body needs physically. Reward hunger, your body doesn't need. It's purely psychological and environmental. You're stressed, you're bored, you're celebrating, or because it's there, or because it's time. And this is what I thought was especially fascinating and applic applicable to us spiritually. He says, comfort food and stress eating are common American vernacular. And studies show 
This is profound. That real hunger now drives only 20% of eating. This is insane. He said, the rate at which the people in the study we did ate was so astounding that it led the research team to wonder if people ever eat anymore when they're actually hungry. And then he says, hunger is missing from our daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly wellness prescription. We're not hungry anymore. We don't know what hunger is. We eat just because it's there. Our growing disconnection from hunger is one of the critical reasons we have so many physical problems. All I did was translate that to what Jesus is trying to say here. It's possible that we have lost our spiritual appetites and don't know it. It's possible that we have so many things we want and so many things we're after that we're always getting something to fill us, and because we are, we've lost our appetite. And because we're full, filled with so many things, we no longer really feel a true craving for spiritual things. I mean true craving, true desire to know, to obey, to love, to serve, to give, to be obedient. What do you really want? How would you know? Like you got some circumstance in your life right now that there's a possibility of nine things you could actually want. Eight of them God wouldn't be mad at, but they may be masking something deeper. That there should be a want you want greater than that, that you're willing to forego those wants in order to have it. So fasting then, if you think about it all this way, Fasting, then, is a way to draw me to God, reminds me when I'm hungry that nothing can really satisfy me, prompts me to seek what I need from Him the most. So you get hungry and you say, God, it is so tempting when I feel that I want something to just go fill it myself. And I know my soul. I know I do this to my soul. It's hungering for something. I keep giving it stuff. It's got empty calories. It's processed. It's not healthy for me. And you make the connection when you're physically hungry to that soul. And you start talking to God about things you haven't brought up. Like, what do you really want out of this marriage? Try to answer that. What do I really want out of my job? Because there's about 10 things you could want. 
I really want out of this friendship. It prompts me to seek what I need most from him alone and prepares me to make the sacrifices when necessary. You can't deny that after 40 days of saying no to bread, Jesus wasn't ready to say no one more time. It did all those things. Saying no to food is as hard as it is for the soul to say no. And if that's the case, we're spiritually in trouble because we rarely say no. So let me bring this down to something that you can take home with you now. This is one of my favorite definitions of fasting at the end of the day. Here's all you're doing. Piper calls it an offering of emptiness. I'm just offering emptiness to you, God. I'm so used to being full by something, grabbing something all the time. Right now, I just want to be empty so I can feel the emptiness, and I can invite you in to fill it and you alone. That's all I'm doing. There's nothing spiritual about it. By the way, no one's supposed to know you're fasting, so this isn't something you brag about. Right? The praying and the giving and the, what did Jesus say? When you do it, don't let anybody see you doing it. So nobody's supposed to know. So this isn't something you can act spiritual about because nobody's supposed to know you're doing it. The only reason we know this week is because it's fasting week. Otherwise, we'd never know you, 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 you skipped a meal this week. It's between you and him only. It's not to impress anybody in here. If, so if you don't do it, nobody knows it. You're safe. <sighs> don't you feel better? I'm so glad I don't have to fill out a form and say that I did it. You don't. That's the beautiful thing. You're not on any hook. But if you were to skip a meal this week, depending on, depending on how you eat, if you don't eat breakfast, don't fast at breakfast. All right? Not a cool thing. That's cheating. You might as well go ahead and eat something sweet. Uh, and, and I want to say this. This is really important, too, when it comes to fasting because we're all looking for something to make us feel a little more spiritual or make others be impressed with us. This is not in that category. Please don't put it there. I just want to know this question. Do you really want to know what you want? What matters to you the most? Do you really want to know the answer to that? Take some time and skip a meal and get hungry. And then ask yourself, is my soul hungry anymore? Or is my soul like my stomach? Because I can put anything in it at any time I want, I don't even know what my soul wants. So just, if you say to yourself, I've never done this before, or I've done it before and it didn't work, just skip one meal that you love. Hey, listen, if you're going to skip a meal, skip your favorite meal. My favorite meal is dinner. I can skip every other meal easily, even though I could eat every meal like it's my last meal. Dinner's the meal I don't want to miss. That's the one I have to fast if I'm going to do one in a day. If you want to do two, 
and feel that out, you could. If you want to do the first day, just find one meal, your favorite meal, and do that one. But maybe you do it twice in the week. You just try it once here, and maybe you do two in another day. Maybe you don't get that far. doesn't matter. Completely irrelevant. Take one meal, your favorite meal, one meal. You're going to live. But we need to reassure everyone. But see, this is the point. What does your soul really need to survive? All right. If you can't do food because, let me, let me distinguish two things, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll feel me on this as we close. Number one, some of you get a little headache if you don't eat. So what? That's the point. If it doesn't hurt, it's not going to accomplish the goal. Now, if you've got a medical issue and you can't experience that, then there are a couple of other things you could potentially do, and I would give you two I'd give you two maybe better ones that might come close. Nothing comes, nothing comes, nothing's better than food. Fast food. But there are two other things that I'd potentially recommend if food cannot fit into your medical life history story. And that is technology or shopping. You can't go on Amazon for two days. Some of you, some of us, I guarantee you'll start fasting. I guarantee you'll start fasting if you can't shop. Oh, I'm skipping meals like crazy, but I'm on Amazon all day. All right, well, we have a wonderful opportunity together right now. Uh, because we're going to do come to the Lord's table, and we're going to have a little feast before we fast. It's a spiritual feast before we fast.